Father, thank you for these ladies. Thank you for your presence here today, Lord. Thank you that you love us, you see us, you're at work in our lives. And God, I just ask that for the next few minutes, Lord, would you just settle everything that, um, that clouds our thinking? Would you just cause every distraction and every burden and every um, worry that we may have, Lord, would you give us the grace, Lord, just to free our minds of that for the next few minutes, Lord? We want to hear from you. We want to be reminded of your character today because it will change everything. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let me just recap, because I know some of you are here for the very first time. We're in the middle of a seven-week series titled, I Am. And the purpose of I Am is really God kind of directed us here, redirected us after Hurricane Harvey hit. And we realized that in the middle of everything around us quaking and our knees are buckling, we need to know more than ever that I am is not far away, that I am is near. And so I felt like it was kind of a let's get back to what's really critically important. Who is God? Who is Yahweh, the God that we follow as Christians? Who is he? So that's what we're doing. And last week, if you were here, I spent the time kind of giving a broad overview of Yahweh, his being. Who is he? He's uncontrollable. He's uncontainable. He's all-powerful. He's the creator, the one true God, the creator of heaven and earth, the creator of you and I. And so it was really a macro view, kind of a 30,000 look of who is God. And I tried to take a stab at it, that he's, he's more than we can imagine. He's unpredictable, and yet he's good. And so now, today, we're going to dive in a little bit deeper, and we're going to look more intimately at who he is, Yahweh, and we're going to look at his character in particular. And in, um, in Exodus 34... He begins to share with Moses, and we'll look there in just a second. He begins to tell Moses, as Moses asks him, who should I say has sent me to this stiff-necked group of people called the Israelites that you care about and you want to see move into freedom? Who should I tell them has sent me? And he said, you tell them I am, Yahweh. And then he begins to describe who that is. So we're going to look at it. But before we do, this silly little picture came into my mind this week as I was studying and preparing. And I think it's it might be helpful for you. So if you have a pair of sunglasses, take them out, swallow that, that salad, and get your sunglasses out or glasses, and I want you to put them on. I know that's annoying. You don't want to stop and do that, but I'm asking you to do it. So do it, you stiff-necked group of people. <laughs> get your sunglasses out. And I want you to put them on because I think that this, this helps me uh, remember what's true, is oftentimes I view God with a certain set of lenses. I also view my world with a certain set of lenses, and these lenses are most natural to me. They fit me. When I put on my husband's glasses, they don't fit me. They're not natural, but when I put these on from the dollar store, thank you very much. Aren't they cute? Um, I have about 14 pair of them because I lose them all the time. And l just side note, I was sharing this yesterday. I was in Walmart, and they had a rack of $19 sunglasses, and I was like, these must be amazing. They're $19, and they were polarized lenses, and I put those on, and I'm telling you, it was a newfound freedom. Polarized lenses are amazing. These are not those, but they're a dollar, so that's even better. But when I put my lenses on and you put your lenses on, you view... Um, life in a certain way. And we, have, we view God in a certain way based on our lenses. And our lenses are formed 
by our relationships in our lives and our experiences in our lives. Let me give you an example. If you grew up with a set of parents that were really, really strict and they really cared about you performing well and that oftentimes felt like the bottom line, it might be difficult for you to view God as a tender father. It might be natural, your set of lenses might view God as kind of a dogmatic, authoritarian type father based on your relationships that were most critical in your life growing up. You see where I'm going? Also, um, I, I, I know that, I don't know if, I, if you guys have seen the movie, this is silly, but Jerry Maguire, have y'all seen that movie? Who hadn't seen that movie? I can take these off now. But Jerry Maguire, you've seen the movie, and right before uh, Tom Cruise comes in and he says, uh, you complete me, you know, the big scene, uh, Renee Zellweger's character is there with a group of women, and do y'all remember what they were discussing? Yeah, they were, and what were they, who were they mad at? They were mad at men. And she stands up, she's like, well, I'm sorry, I still believe in love, yada, yada, yada. And she, and what was interesting is everyone in that room had a certain set of lenses and they viewed men as bad guys, right? Men are awful, because why? Because they'd been hurt by men. And so your lenses can be formed by wounds in your life, by relationship strains in your life. They can also be formed by experiences. If you felt like you were all alone in your life or you had hard um, issues coming up in your life, it might be difficult for you to see God as a present father. I have good friends who had fathers in their lives that were just tremendous, just amazing. And so they view God quite easily as a loving, compassionate, tender father. So my point today is God is asking us to view him with his lenses He wants to be the one that forms the lenses through which I view him. And so I want to ask us as we move into today's lesson, do your circumstances define God to you? Do your circumstances, life experiences, and relationships, do do those define God's character in your life? Or does God's character define your relationships, your circumstances, your life experiences? You see what I'm saying? It's critical. It's the difference between freedom and bondage, despair and joy. And so God is asking today, as he does through Moses, when he says, you tell them that I am has sent you. And then in chapter 34 of Exodus, he begins to describe this is who Yahweh is. And so what he's doing is he's saying, this is the set of lenses through which you will view me. This is the truth of my character. This is who I am. And so we're going to look at who he is. And so if you'll look on your listening guide, I want us to jump right in for time's sake. Exodus 34, verses 5 and 6. You have verse 6 on your paper, but I'm going to start with verse 5 to remind us what's happening. Moses has already said yes to God. He's already begun the journey to lead the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery and into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land of freedom. But what they didn't expect is that it would get harder before it got easier. Can anybody relate to that? And so they are cranky. They are grumbling. They're frustrated because their life experience and their circumstances are difficult. They have begun to view God as absent, indifferent. He doesn't care. He's not at work. He's not present. He's not trustworthy. And Moses says, I can't go another step without you. 
I've got to have a taste of your glory. I've got to experience your presence. Show me your glory, Lord, or I can't go back to this group of people. I can't go another step. And the Lord says, okay, you come to the top of the mountain. Hence, mountaintop experience. And I'm going to show myself to you. And where we pick up in verse 5 of chapter 34 in Exodus, it says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud, and he stood there with him. Moses, meaning Moses. The Lord stood there with Moses, and he proclaimed his name, the Lord, translated Yahweh. I am. And it says, he passed, I am, passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God. The compassionate and gracious God. The compassionate and gracious God. Here's the thing. In Scripture, the order of words meant something very important. Anytime you saw um, a series of words or descriptions or names, that was always an order with which we needed to pay attention. What does that mean? And so we'll see Exodus, um, it goes all the way 6, 7, and 8, begins to describe the Lord's character. But the very first thing is the most important thing. The very first thing that God wants Moses and his people to know about him, the very first thing that shapes the lenses through which we view him is the word compassionate and gracious. And you see in Hebrew, these words have a conjunction in between them. And so what I want to do is I want to write the words for you in their origin in the Hebrew. It's compassionate, also meaning merciful, compassionate. And in uh, scripture, it's a word that means rahan, rahan. And then it says, it'll say we, so the word will say rahan, we, and then the second word is hanun, hanun. And that's gracious, okay? So we're gonna look at these. We're gonna unpack them for just a minute. So compassionate also means merciful. And in some translations, you'll see that the, the merciful and gracious God, compassionate and gracious. And what I want you to know about this word compassion is it's a feeling word. It's a feeling word. The very first thing God wants us to know about him is that he's a feeling God and he feels something about you and me. And what he feels is mercy, compassion. But what's interesting about the word compassion, because I think it's become diluted in our culture, because oftentimes, you know, I can, my kid can come in and say they had a hard day and I'll feel compassion. And I'll say, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. Why don't you get a popsicle? And then we move on. And that's not what God means when he uses the word compassion. Rahan, Rahan, uh, the origin, the root origin of this word means female womb. Female womb. Take that in for just a minute. Female womb. The reason compassion is rahan is because God wants us to know that his level of compassion toward you and toward me is a visceral feeling. It's a visceral reaction. Do you know what that means? Visceral comes from viscera or viscera, and it's your guts. Your inner guts. Have you ever said, I feel gut-wrenched about this? That was so gut-wrenching what we saw in Las Vegas. 
what we awakened to Monday morning was gut-wrenching, and we had a visceral response. A visceral response. What God wants you and me to know about him today is he has a visceral response to his children. He is compassionate to his children. Compassionate. He's just compassionate in general. That is who he is. It is a feeling word. I, uh, it, it, it's interesting in my own life, I, I think when I had biological children, when I had children, I understood and tasted this, this level of compassion probably as deeply as I've ever tasted it. And not long ago, my daughter walked in from school and she shared with me a comment that was made to her in class and it was an ugly comment. And what you need to know about Beth is that she's my kid that is like easygoing, lighthearted, throws things off her back. She just is, she's just joyful. And she walked in that day after school and she looked at me in the eyes and she shared with me what was said about her and she had tears in her eyes and you can better believe that her mama had a visceral response, a visceral reaction. One, because what was said was mean and I, I wanted to snap the kid's head off. But two, the main, the main cause of reaction was the pain that I saw in her eyes. Can anybody relate to that? I had a visceral response. My guts were wrenched because my daughter was in pain. Do you and I, do we believe, do we really believe that God is a compassionate father that has a visceral reaction to our pain? Do you believe that? Is that the set of lenses through which you view him in your worst crisis? On your worst day, do you believe that God has a visceral response or do you think, how could you? Where are you? Why would you? Do you even? It's natural, most natural to have that response. I've had that response a ton in my life. And I think as I grow closer to Jesus, my life is spent undoing things that I learn and removing the false set of lenses and putting on the right ones. And the Lord wants me to know that he is compassionate toward me. That when I hurt, he hurts. The shortest verse in scripture is Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus already knew that comes from a passage in the Gospels when Lazarus had died. Jesus already knew that, Je that Lazarus would rise. Already knew that he was just sleeping. And yet he wept with Lazarus' sisters. Yahweh is compassionate. He is compassionate. And there's probably several of us in this room that are not biological mothers or adoptive mothers. We don't have children that we are raising or that we have raised well, let me tell you something. When I was 25 years old, I made fun of people that were nutso about their pets. I thought they needed counseling. I was like, seriously, what is wrong? You're going to put a winter coat on that puppy. And then I got a puppy. 
I got a dog named Chloe. Many of you know Chloe. You, you haven't got, she's with Jesus now. Yes, she is. But in my mid-20s, I got a dog. And I'm telling you, I, have a visceral, I had a visceral response and level of protection of this pet. This was my offspring, if you will. I was to care for this dog. This dog was my um, responsibility. This dog was mine. Period. This dog was mine. And I was nuts for that dog. Nuts for her. I grieved when she died. And so here's the thing. You don't have to be a biological mother to connect to this. You're just a woman created in the image of God. And innately inside you is a womb that is nurturing and has a visceral response. You are called because you bear the image of Christ. If you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And so when my guts are wrenched by what we saw in Las Vegas, that's not because I'm some stellar human being. It's because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me and Yahweh's guts are wrenched and he's inviting in me into that experience. He is allowing me to taste to an nth degree what he tastes, the level of compassion that he has. Do you believe that Yahweh is a compassionate God and that he's compassionate toward you? It makes all the difference. When I woke up Monday, Monday is my day that I tend to really hunker down and write. Um, my messages for the week. And I kind of start meditating them on, you know, I'll teach today and then I'll start thinking about next week, tomorrow and Friday, I'll do some work. But Monday, because of all the beans in my house, I don't have as much freedom. And so Monday's when I really hunker down and I make everybody leave and don't talk to me and go away. And there's something about my house that I just, for this season, my house is where I tend to do the best writing. And so I like to be in my house. And Monday morning I woke up and it was just a really rough morning with everybody. We've got, it feels like we've got 50 people in the house, even though it's just seven and three dogs, but that's a lot. And everyone kind of had a rough start. And once everybody got out, I sat down and I was just um, weary. I was tired and I thought, Lord, forgive me. I just don't feel like I've got it in me. And right then my dear, dear, one of my dearest friends called and said, I'm praying for you. And I've been praying for you this morning and I feel like God's given me some encouragement for you. And she shared that with me. And in that moment, I experienced afresh just a compassionate God that is inclined to my weariness. The creator, this uncontrollable God would care enough about me to minister to me on Monday morning. In Psalm 103, it says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed and he remembers that we are dust. He remembers that we're frail. He remembers that we're tired. He remembers that we don't have what it takes. He remembers that we're out of control. And he longs to show compassion. Rahan, he's compassionate. He's merciful. God's baseline emotion is mercy is always mercy. The second thing the Lord wants Moses to share with, uh, with um, the Israelites and also to share with us is that he describes himself as compassionate and gracious. He's compassionate and gracious. What's interesting about that is this word hanan is an action word. 
It's an action word. And so we've got a feeling word. His guts are turned over. He is a compassionate God that, um, that is inclined to our cries, that feels our pain, that weeps with us. And yet he's also a God that rises up to act on our behalf. He rises up to come to our aid. That's what Hanun means. It just means the willingness to jump into action or to render aid to someone in need, to those that are in need. And so the Lord not only feels it, but he does something. He rises up in Isaiah 30, verse 18. It says, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. He will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are all who wait for him. The Lord longs to be gracious to you, to rise up and show you compassion. When Beth came in that day after school and she shared that with me, I had a visceral response. My guts were wrenched. I had a, a ton of compassion, but it didn't stop there. I didn't offer her a popsicle. I got up and I called her teacher immediately. And I picked up the phone and I got a word sent to her teacher through the school and her teacher called me back within just a few minutes. And I explained what had happened and I said, this, here's the thing. This is a comment that cannot go on. And so I trust you. We have the best school teachers in the land. Really, truly. She was amazing. Responded to my cra I mean, I was like, I, I was just, I was, you know, a visceral mom at the moment. I'll just, I'll just leave it right there. And I was like, here's the deal, you know. And you could tell she's like, oh, got a crazy one on my hand. Got a crazy one. But she was super gracious toward me. But I said, I'm going to trust you to handle this. But if this happens again, I will sit down. I want to sit down with the principal, this boy's mom, and this, uh, this boy. Because this won't happen again. It can't. And Beth, while she wasn't in on the conversation, she knew where mama was. I was in the bedroom making this phone call. And the next day she came back and she'd had a great day and it had been handled and it was important that Beth saw that not only does she have a mom that is compassionate, but she has a mom that's gracious, that I will jump and render aid when I need to. And there are times when we have discernment, we know when we need to let things go and when we need to step in. And this was one of those moments that my daughter needed to see that I fight for her. But here's what I can always know is that my God, Yahweh, is compassionate and gracious. And if he, in my natural lenses, doesn't appear to be rendering aid, I need to wait, be still, and know that he is at work, even if I don't see it in the moment or in the timely fashion that I would like to see it. He is not distant. He is not silent. He is not asleep. He is not indifferent. He is at work, and he is always at work on my behalf for his glory, always. And so I must choose to wear the lenses that he defines. And so when I am in a dark season, and it does not seem to be changing, I get to choose, am I going to define Yahweh by my suffering and my 
um, insecurity and my lack of control and my frustration? Or am I going to define my circumstances by the Yahweh that I follow that is compassionate and gracious? Do I view my life, my relationships, my struggles, my suffering through the lens that Yahweh is compassionate and gracious? Period. Not because I deserve it, but because that's who he is. That's who he is. That's who he is. I don't deserve anything. And yet God is compassionate, merciful, and gracious. It's his baseline emotion for you, and it's his baseline emotion for me. I think many of us approach God in a certain, in a a few different ways. I'm going to share a few of those. But to give you kind of a picture of this, I know there's times in my home when my children, I mean, there are very rare times when I'm in a cranky mood or I'm kind of on edge. But it's interesting when I am on edge to watch how my children interact with me. And so I can be in a really kind of cranky mood and just short-fused and whatever. And my kids, what I'll notice is they kind of tiptoe and like, they're like, hey, mom, um, is it okay if I do this? Can I take this? And, the, you know, I, you see that a lot. You're like, you know. I see that the way they approach me is different than when they, they feel relaxed and know that mom's relaxed. And when mom is relaxed and mom's at ease, my kids, they can't, they really can't get enough of me. I, I'm, I'm counting the days because I know the teenage years are coming. But right now, they really love me and they really want to be with me. And so my husband, Jason, was on a backpacking trip for 11 days. And so they got to sleep with me and they fought over who got to be right next to me, just suffocating me in the bed. They want to be right next. One of their greatest treats is if I'll just take them one-on-one for a drive in the car. Can we just go on a drive, mom? Just you and me, no one else. They, lo- they want to be with me. They love to physically hang on me all the time. And Yahweh is always in a good mood. He's always compassionate, and he's always gracious. Why? Because that's who he is, not because I'm behaving properly. It's because that's who he is. That's his character. That is his character. Now, we will talk about justice. He's a just God, but his baseline is mercy. Look at the cross. His baseline is mercy. I think that we approach the Lord, the way my kids approach me based on how we assume he might be feeling toward us. Am I not correct in that? Oftentimes I can approach him and say, well, Lord, based on all of my good behavior, would you come through in this way? Would you answer this prayer request? Would you meet our need? I mean, good grief. Would you just heal her? She deserves it. Look at her. Oftentimes I'll approach God based on kind of with a victim mentality, based on what's been done to me. This is awful. I didn't deserve this. This has been really hard. You should come through for me. You should come through for me. And sometimes I don't approach him at all because I'm assuming that he's mad at me because I haven't performed well. And God is saying, You may always approach me based on me, God, Yahweh, not based on you. 
So I approach God on Monday morning when I'm tired and I don't feel like I've got it in me. It's tempting for me to approach him with a lot of guilt. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I know. And God says, stop. I am compassionate and gracious. My grace abounds in your weakness, Laura. So I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to speak to you. So instead of approaching him based on how his mood may be that day, you can just relax and know Yahweh is always compassionate and it's, he's always gracious because that's who he is. That's a character trait. That's not a feeling like an emotion. That's who he is. That's his nature is compassion and grace. I can't say it enough. I think I keep repeating it because I can't get it in my head. Maybe I've got it in my head, but it's not sinking down to my heart enough. Can you imagine how we would live if we just believed, if that was the lenses, that was a set of lenses through which we viewed him all the time? Just confident, just at ease. He's good. He's gracious. He's faithful. Why? Because I'm his. Just because I'm his. Just because I'm his. I want you to think about that just in your own life. Do you and do I, do we really believe that to be true? No, you probably don't. I probably don't. I mean, cognitively, yes, we're not going to argue that. I mean, that's pretty good news. I'm not going to say that's probably not true. But is it true for me? Do I really believe it in my guts? Do I have a visceral response to that? My challenge to you and my challenge to me is let's ask God to make that real in our lives. Lord, would you make that sink down into my bones so that when I wake up in the morning, I know that I'm coming to a God that is compassionate and gracious. Compassionate and gracious. If we stopped there today, I think it would be enough of a challenge just to have you believe that, begin to focus on believing that for yourself. But I believe God wants us to take it a step farther. And he wants us to know that he is compassionate and gracious to anyone, to anyone, to Stephen Paddock, the shooter on the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay Hotel that his mercy and his compassion, his grace is offered to anyone, to anyone. Not at the expense of justice, but it's repentance. And so I want us to look at that for just a second in Jonah. And I want us to see this because to me, what I am finding to be true about Christians these days is that we are in an all-out war toward one another. Even if you just even see the response of this shooting in Las Vegas, you see Christians going at each other over gun control issues. And yet we say we serve a compassionate, merciful, and gracious God, but we can't even extend it to those that are in our own family. And so I think God has something to say to us today about that. 
And Jonah, we'll pick up in chapter 4 in just a second. Let me give you the backdrop before we close out. Jonah is a prophet, and Jonah is sent to a, um, a group of people called the Ninevites. And let me tell you a little bit about the Ninevites. Jonah is part of the Israelite clan. He's a chosen person, and so he wants God to be merciful to his people. You better believe it. But let me tell you about the Ninevites. They were like ISIS on steroids. They literally skinned people. There are historical records of the way they burned children, massacred people. They were horrible, awful, awful, cruel people group, awful, disgusting people group. And God said to Jonah, go tell them to repent. Go tell them that they need to turn back toward, well, I don't know, that they, to turn to the Lord. Go tell them. And Jonah said, no. Mm -mm, not going to do it. Not going to do it because they don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. And so he ran from the Lord. He did not say yes to the Lord. He ran away from the Lord to Tarshish, which is a city totally in the opposite direction. And the Lord in his mercy put Jonah through a bit of a test that involved a whale. He went into the belly of a whale until he came to his senses. And he said, Lord, I repent. Okay, I'll do what you've asked me to do. The Lord spits him out onto the land. And he says, okay, I'll go. I'll go. And so he went to Nineveh. And he went to Nineveh and he said, you need to repent. What you're doing is evil in God's eyes and you need to repent. And to his surprise, they did. To his surprise, they listened to the Lord's word. It didn't return void. And they put on sackcloth and they started fasting and they began to repent. And Nona, I mean, I keep saying Nona, I said this yesterday. Jonah was cranky about it. Jonah was mad. They did not deserve this. He did not want to see them get away with this. And so we pick up in chapter 4 of Jonah. And it says, this change of plans, the change of plans is God relenting his anger. It's God pulling the reins back and not destroying this people group. This change of plans, verse 1, greatly upset Jonah. You think so? And he became very angry. Is there anyone in your life that's hurt you or hurt your children or hurt somebody that you love and you think they don't deserve mercy and you want to see them experience a, just a little bit of the pain they've caused you? That's a natural reaction. It's just not God's economy. Now justice is, and we're going to talk about that because the Lord describes himself as a God of justice and we will talk about that. But the first thing he wants us to know is that he's a God of compassion and a God of grace. And look at what Jonah says in verse 2. It says, so Jonah complained to the Lord about it. And he says, I love this. He says, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. How about that for a fleshly response? Don't judge him. You know you've been there. I want to see them in pain because of the pain they have caused me. I want to see justice. And really what we mean by justice is revenge. He wants revenge. This is a sick group of people. 
They don't deserve your mercy. Do I deserve his mercy? Let me think about that. No, I don't. No, I don't. But yet I'm willing to receive it and I'll point a finger at someone and say, but not them, Lord, not them. And the Lord's saying, babe, it just does not work that way. If you're going to follow me, you got to follow me. If you want to know me, I'm going to let you know me, but you're going to have to accept all of me. And so in verse 4, the Lord replies to Jonah and he says, is it right for you to be angry about this? And then Jonah doesn't respond. He just leaves. And it says he went out to the east side of the city and he made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. I think he went outside to one. He wouldn't burn when that city burned down, hoping that it would. He's thinking, I'm just going to hope that something disastrous happens, so I'm going to leave for safe measure. Verse 6, it says this now. Watch the words here. It says, and the Lord arranged. What does it say? The Lord did what? He arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. And this eased Jonah's discomfort. And Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Do you all see that? This eased Jonah's discomfort. And he was very grateful. Boy, I can sing worship songs so beautifully when I'm comfortable. I can tell someone else about Jesus when I am in a comfortable season of life so easily. But when I am not comfortable and my life is not easy, it is difficult for me at times. And the Lord in his mercy and his grace, in his mercy and in his grace is dealing with Jonah's heart. So watch, he sends this plant. It says he arranged it. It it eases his discomfort. He's happy about it. But look at verse 7. It says, but God also arranged for a worm. What? Yes. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. Wait a second. God is a God of comfort. Wait a second. God is coming to my aid. Wait a second. God is a God of mercy. In this moment, Jonah is in a crisis of faith because it's easy to believe that God is compassionate and gracious when I'm comfortable. It is difficult for me to believe it when things don't go my way. And so the plant withered away and it says, then the sun grew hot and God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. When is God merciful? He's always merciful. But when I don't feel it, am I going to define him as not merciful? Or am I going to define him as he chooses to be defined? And so it says, The scorching wind beat down on Jonah's head until he grew very faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Verse 9, it says, Then God said to Jonah, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? And Jonah's answer, I just love Jonah. He says, yeah, it is. It's even angry enough to die. Yeah, it's right that I'm angry, and it's even okay that I'm angry enough to die. Let me just tell you something, Lord. Here's what I love, too, is he's raw. He's raw before the Lord. I don't have to dress it up. The Lord already knows my heart. He's orchestrating this event in Jonah's life to change his heart. He's orchestrating this life because he already knows Jonah's heart. And so it does Jonah no good to pretend that it's something that it's not. So Jonah, in his rawness, says, yeah, yeah, it's okay for me to be angry. Let me tell you, 
It's okay for me to be so angry that I want to die. This isn't fair. This isn't right. This isn't okay. And the Lord says this. You feel sorry about the plant, though you didn't eat, you did, you put, you did nothing, excuse me, to put it there. You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. Why did Jonah like this plant? Because of what the plant offered Jonah. It's all about Jonah, right? God is drilling down and saying, it's all about me. You are happiest when you are defined in me. You are happiest when you are in my will, not yours. And so Jonah said, he says, you feel sorry about this plant. You did nothing to bring it there. It came up quickly and it died. You didn't have a chance to get to know the plant. But yet all of a sudden you're grieving. Verse 11, it says, But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't we feel sorry for a great city? What is the Lord pointing out about Nineveh that warrants his compassion? They're in spiritual darkness. They are lost. Never do we see God excusing their sin. Never. He's never saying it's no big deal that they massacred people. He's saying they are in spiritual darkness. They're in spiritual darkness, and that matters. We are all created in God's image, and God longs for his children to be reconciled and redeemed to himself, and it happens through Jesus, and no one is not welcome to the table. But you come to the table through Jesus the Son. Yahweh in the flesh. But we, as believers in the faith, have no right to say you're welcome and you're not. We get to say, come to the table. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Yahweh? Let me introduce you to him. Give your life to him. Sit down and let's break bread together. Oh, you're a Democrat? That's okay. Yahweh is saying, if you are my daughters, and you are, you have received mercy and compassion and grace in your time of need, and I'm asking you to extend it forth. Stephen Pollock, Pot Paddock, excuse me, Stephen Paddock did an evil thing. Evil. That was evil. Evil that happened in Las Vegas on Monday. And yet God longs to extend mercy if Stephen Paddock repents. If the members of ISIS repent and come to him through Jesus. But anyone, anyone is welcome. Anyone is welcome. And that is a hard pill to swallow. Hard pill to swallow sometimes. And so I have to swallow it based on the fact that I am following Yahweh. And Yahweh is good and he's merciful. And it just doesn't matter. It matters how I feel, but it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that I know Yahweh. And Yahweh will sort that stuff out in my heart 
just like he will do in Jonah's heart, just like we saw him do in, in Moses' heart, just like we saw him do in Jesus. He is good, and he is worthy of our trust, and it will not always make sense. But my challenge to you and to me as we close today is one, one is will you begin to come to the Lord with the right set of lenses, that he is compassionate and gracious to you, to you. That's who he is. And then I want you to go to step number two, and then I want you to think of one person in your life that is so difficult to love. It may be someone in your home, maybe someone at your workplace, it may be someone, I don't know, in your circle, it may be someone very far away that you don't even know, but you just can't stand him. And I would ask you to do what Yahweh did in Jesus when he said, pray for your enemies. Love those and pray for those that persecute you. Stephen Paddock was in spiritual darkness. And I pray that he was like the thief on the cross that looked at Jesus and repented in the last second and said, Lord, remember me. And Jesus looks back and said, you're going to be with me in paradise. It doesn't make sense, this grace that's free. But I'm so grateful I've received it. Have you received it? Come to the table. Come through Jesus. If you're not sure, here's what you do. You just ask for forgiveness for your sin. The blood shed on the cross is what covers our sin. And then you come and sit at the table and begin to discover that you serve Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God. Let me pray for us. Lord, these truths about you can seem so opposed to our souls at times. And yet I'm so grateful that I am not God and you are. And so I just ask, Lord, that you would strengthen our belief, Lord. Help us with our unbelief. I pray that this truth, that you are a compassionate and gracious God, Lord, sink it down into our bones, into our guts, so that we have a visceral response at anything in opposition to that truth. That when crisis hits and we're tempted to believe the lie, that you are not with us, that you are not for us, that you are not good. Would you create in us that visceral reaction? No, that is not the Yahweh I follow. I will believe the truth. And Lord, we do pray for our enemies. And we ask, Lord, that you would bring them out of spiritual darkness and into the light. In Jesus' name, amen. Girls, we'll see you next week. Thanks for being here.